Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. followers of Jesus and and as churches in the West, there are some very significant challenges going on for us at the moment. We are at a significant crossroads. Um, And of course, we we could talk about all the challenges that are out there, but I think if we're brutally honest this afternoon, probably the greatest challenges are in here. The greatest challenges to following Jesus are actually within our own hearts and within our own following of Jesus. Ask, you know, beginning to answer questions like, who is really our Lord? Is Jesus really our Lord? Are we becoming more and more like what he has set up for the kingdom of God to be on planet earth? And what does discipleship look like in 2022 and beyond? Because it's just going to become more challenging. And are we really prepared to undergo that deep, radical, holistic renewing of the mind transformation? Or are we really just going to go with the ways of the world and put some Christian clothing on it? That is the real invitation for us as followers of Jesus. And so a little bit more of my journey just to provide you guys with some context as to who I am and this this random guy from Western Sydney who has flown in to to share with you guys today. But I actually didn't grow up in a Christian household. It was late in my teenage years where through a a fairly radical series of events, I don't have the time to jump into it this afternoon, um, I I put my trust in Jesus, um, which is a miracle, friends. Like it really is, if you are here and you have become a Christian over the course of really any part in your life, but if you have put your trust in Jesus, that is a miracle. And even as we are singing those songs of worship this afternoon about the resurrected King, you are a resurrected creation here today. And so one of the first events that I then walked into after that was an event called Soul Survivor. I don't know if you guys have got Soul Survivor here in in South Australia, but it is effectively a youth movement that started in the United Kingdom that is led by a guy called Mike Pilavachi. And their big thing, their big focus is how do we create spaces for the Holy Spirit to move in the lives of young people without being weird? Really to kind of create those spaces where each and every one of us in naturally supernatural ways can experience God in his presence. That is freely available to every single one of us. And that line that, that Mike used before, that everybody gets to play, that is a huge value of that movement. Um, and then off the back of that, I sense quite a radical call to ministry. This is quite a journey. You know, someone who has had no relationship with God or with Christianity and then felt quite a call into vocational ministry. And the tradition that I was a part of at that time, um, I dove headfirst into this focus upon spiritual formation. Um, Authors such as Richard Foster and Henry Now and Dallas Willard really effectively trying to answer the question of how am I becoming more like Jesus? It's one thing to have an experience of God and to, to begin to journey with a Christian community, but increasingly so, how is my life being more and more fashioned upon the rhythms and the practices of Jesus? And I reckon those two things are actually quite an exciting recipe for discipleship. 
as we create space for His Holy Spirit in community as we are doing this afternoon, but then beginning to lend ourselves to how am I going to personally engage day by day, not on Sundays. If you just rock up for Sundays, that's like just having the cherry on the top of the cake, but actually day by day experiencing God afresh in spiritual practices and Bible reading and providing space to actually go deeper with Him. And I would go as far as saying that if we don't do that, then I think as disciples of Jesus who are wanting to apprentice to the kingdom in 2022, we're actually stuffed. Yeah. If, if we don't actually go on that journey, I'm telling you right now, it is only going to get more challenging. And so this stuff that we're talking about as part of this series is main game. It is main game stuff. And that's why I consider it such an honour to speak into this series. As, as you go on that same journey as a church to, to create spaces for people to experience Jesus in community, be transformed by his presence, and then to increasingly begin to identify the ways that we are being discipled by the world. To live with one foot in the kingdom of God now, with our rhythms and our practices and our habits. Dallas Willard called this training for reigning. How are we training for reigning in God's kingdom? Because as the church in in 2022, we don't need the latest thing, we actually need the ancient thing. We need to return to the original model of God's creation, living as a radical kingdom counterculture to the world around us. Tyson calls it being a creative minority. How can we be a creative minority with a certain posture to God and to the world around us that is deeply authentic and attuned to the things of the King and His Kingdom? Now, as Mike said, um, today he's thrown me an absolute curveball and asked me to speak about the devil, which is a doozy. Um, And hey, at least I get to jump on a plane tomorrow and fly home. (laughs) Mike can tidy up any loose ends next week as I know you guys have got part two. But for some of um, us today, as we jump into this topic, which as Mike said is a fairly weighty one, that may conjure up a whole raft of images for you. Maybe some of them quite comical, you know, a, a red guy with a, with a trident and horns and maybe we think of horror movies that we may have watched at some point in our life. And then again, for others, you know, feelings of confusion or, or fear, or scepticism, or, or even just plain discomfort, that this is maybe something that we're hesitant about. Now, let me firstly absolutely concur with you. Um, to talk about this feels quite odd, feels quite strange, and historically, very much those have been my experiences too. And part of that would come down to, I think for me, at least a personal ignorance, And I think on the flip side, our our shared inability to see the work of the demonic. And so therefore, we are immediately sceptical and hesitant. And what tends to happen in many Christian circles is one of two responses. Firstly, flat-out ignorance. Nah, I don't want to hear about it. It's just not something that I'm comfortable talking about. Um, let's, Let's just move on. Let's get to the next topic of conversation. And then on the, on the flip side, um, it could be a hyper-spirituality that blames the devil for everything, including our own immaturity. Uh, it's the devil's fault. He's behind it all. And I actually don't think either of those responses is helpful or reflective of apprenticeship to Jesus within the New Testament. And as I've gone about practicing the ways of Jesus and studying 
the life of Jesus and the scriptures where this comes about, um, when one looks intrinsically at Jesus' life and the things that he did and experienced and taught, as well as the epistles, Paul and Peter and others, Jesus prayed prayers like, would they be delivered from the evil one in the Lord's Prayer? In John 17, on the eve of his crucifixion, when he was about to go to the cross, his prayer was, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Paul in Ephesians 6 talked about the enemy's schemes. And Peter said, be alert of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour. Jesus readily faced, experienced, and taught about spiritual opposition and the work of the enemy at every turn. And therefore, one of my questions for us would be as we start off looking at the devil this evening is if Jesus experienced that level of opposition, how can we expect to not to? And this is not said to intimidate, but I can guarantee that if you are going to be a person that lives a life of consequence for God and his kingdom, that wants the kingdom to reign in their life and the gospel to go forth into all avenues of their world and spheres of influence, and even more so if you are someone who is just drifting and wondering whether it is really worth going all in for Jesus, you will face opposition. That is a guarantee. And for my wife and I, that's where spiritual warfare and, and the work of the devil very much got real for us. If you want to upset the devil, then plant a church. If you want to upset the devil, then do anything that is actually going to stand up for, for the gospel and for the cause of Christ in this world. Now, it's not necessarily my story to share, but particularly as we set about planting Oak City Church, we underwent a very intense series, season of spiritual warfare, particularly aimed at our oldest child that was intended to take him out and take us out at the same time. And I'm so, so thankful for my wife, who is an incredibly mature, wise, um, spiritually sensitive person who was able to bring so much wisdom into that season of life for us. But I would want to encourage you tonight that if you are experiencing ever, any level of spiritual warfare, don't go through it alone. Actually, community is the best place to bring that. The enemy would want to isolate you and make you think like you are the only person who is going through whatever you may be going through. And so the first thing that I want to say for us tonight in Counter Church is that the schemes of the enemy cannot be ignored in the life of the believer. They cannot. Jesus experienced it. We are going to experience it. Jesus talked about there will be troubles in this world. Now one of the passages that many of us, particularly if we've been around church for some time, will be very familiar with is John 10.10. We love it. It's one of our memory verses. It's the one that we rattle off that, that Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. Yet in that very same sentence we often ignore that Jesus said that there is a thief who has come to steal, kill and destroy. We need to be aware of, of the work of the enemy in our lives and all around us. In the movie Usual Suspects, a character called Kaiser Sozo, who was played by Kevin Spacey, this is very deep theology, okay? This is very deep theology. He said this, nobody believed that he was real, but that was his power. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. I wonder if that's just a bit of a, a penny drop moment for someone tonight. 
Now, I wanted to say over all of this, because I think it's really important to say, and we've been singing about it, and of course it is why we gather here tonight, is that Jesus is Lord over everything. And we need not be anxious about the demonic, but one of the worst things that we can do as followers of Jesus is just to ignore it. We should be aware. We should be on guard. We shouldn't take it lightly. C.S. Lewis talked about the enemy being like a wounded animal stuck in a corner. He knows where he is going. We sung tonight that we know how this story ends. We know how it eventuates. But in the meantime, the enemy's strategy is to do all he can to dislocate us from a relationship with God. To deceive, to distract, to dilute who God is and therefore who we are in him. John Eldridge puts it this way, that we are born into a love story set into the midst of a war. I think that's a pretty apt analogy as we recognise just what Jesus has come to do and yet the opposition that we have and will experience. Now I'd want to state that all I'm really able to do this afternoon um, and, and for Mike to follow up next week is to give us a starting point. There is far too much area to cover in this you know, discussion of the devil. Too, too many books that you could read, too much theology to cover off on. And so in the, the time that we have left, I just want to offer us two or three thoughts that I actually think are going to really encourage us as we become aware of this. And also to finish up our time at one particular encounter that Jesus had within the Gospels to lead into the prayer ministry. But for those who would want to do some follow-up reading to this, some, some fantastic resources that you could turn to would be, firstly, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. It is a fantastic fable about how the enemy is orchestrating assignments to, to distract us from being in relationship with God. The insidious ways that sometimes we can become very easily distracted, whether it's consumerism, whether it's busyness, or whether it's just plain ignorance. The enemy is a master of human nature and therefore to become aware of the things that are going to cause us to be entrapped by some of his schemes are really, really important. Of course, you can see up there as well, Live No Lies, you guys are going through that book at the moment. I can't more highly encourage that. And lastly, the works of Neil Anderson who wrote a number of fantastic books around these things. But the number one thing that I want us to catch of, of the work of the enemy as we enter into this with a bit more of a focus now is that ideas are the battlefield of spiritual warfare. Now that may sound just overly simplistic, but that has always been the enemy's game plan, to sow half-truths into our life. Just little spin-doctor things on the truths of God and his word into our life that may cause us to miss the full truth of what God says. If you think right back to when Adam and Eve were in the garden back in Genesis 3, as they were still in perfect union with God, what did the serpent say to them? He said, did God really say? Did God really say that? It's a very subtle, tiny twist on God's words. And a great analogy that I've often heard spoken about, it's like when you're using a compass. If you are trying to get somewhere finding true north, you need to be exactly specific about following true north. If you go one degree to the left or one degree to the right, it may seem oh, like, oh, that's not a big deal. But in 100, 200, 300 kilometers time, you are going to be well away from your intended target. 
and it's just a tiny little shift. And friends, you have got to know that the devil knows God better than you and I do. He was banished from heaven. He was one of God's chief angels. And the book of James says that even the demons know the word of God back to front. They know it better than you and I do. You know, the enemy knows where he is going. And that is why it is so important for us to get the full truth of God and his word. And that is why the enemy will always, always, always attack our perception of who God is. That is how we will try and get into our lives by attacking who is God. What does God say about who he is? And therefore, how will that then affect my identity within him? If we have a skewed perception of who God is, then that is going to alter our perception of who we are in him. And that's where deception creeps in. Because like Eve, we begin to doubt God's words to us. His faithfulness, his promises... And slowly but surely, without even original intent, we attempt to begin to live our life independent of him. Putting our trust and our faith in other things. Created things rather than the creator himself. And we wonder why life begins to become out of whack. Because we step out of his authority And only the author of life can tell us how life works. Only the author of life can tell us that. And when that begins to happen en masse, sin gets normalized. And the enemy has an absolute field day and we wonder why the world is the way it is. John Mark Comer puts it this way, that deceptive ideas lead to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. It all starts with ideas. It all starts with actually honing in on what does God say about himself, the world, ourselves. And if we just get a little bit of sand in the petrol, then that's where it begins to fall apart. Dallas Willard took it a step further. He said, in the context of three enemies that you guys are looking at in this series, the the, the world, the devil and the flesh, they are our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. We need to be aware that there are forces at work that are coming against our apprenticeship to Jesus. I've entered a a great stage of life now where my eldest son, and actually all three of our kids, has got very into Star Wars. This is the moment that I have been waiting for since having children, okay? It has finally come about. And, And of course... I I was a young person at the time where The Phantom Menace first came out. I know that that is like a heresy to many people, but The Phantom Menace is a great film. And and, and I was recently watching it with my eldest son, Liam, and many of you would know, of course, the Chancellor, Palpatine, who was trying to sway both Queen Amidala as well as eventually Anakin to become Darth Vader and join the dark side of the Force. It all starts with little maligning conversations off to the side. It all starts with how can I lurk in the shadows, coaxing, deceiving, trying to woo people to my agenda. That is what the enemy has always been doing. The second thing I'd want to say about the work of the devil is that he is an opportunist. 
He will use absolutely anything, any opportunity that he has to find some sort of foothold in our life, he will use. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, that there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Every square inch, every moment. That's why Paul is able to talk about take every thought captive. You know, the, the vision of the Christian life is so much more than, and of course it's amazing, but come to church, give 10%, be a nice person. It is actually live in God's presence now. Yes. That is the vision of the Christian life, friends. It is so much more than any invitation that you will ever receive. And it is really important to note that the devil is prepared to play the long game in this. He doesn't need to, to win every moment, just ones that are going to begin to draw you away from God. I had a mentor that called it the, the death of a thousand cuts. It's ongoing discouragement. It's falling, you know, it's falling to, to apathy in our lives that really causes us to question, oh, is this all worth it? This is too hard. Do I really want to, 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 to live the way that Jesus has invited me into? The world looks so much more appealing. And it's that ongoing, gradual process where the enemy is wanting to take us away. I guess one of the questions we also have to ask is how can the devil get in? I just really briefly want to touch upon this. Firstly, and C.S. Lewis talks about it again in Screwtape Letters, half the time the devil doesn't even need to intervene. We are left to our own devices whether it be you know, just idly siding with the ways of this world, whether it be apathy, as I've already talked about, whether it be as we slowly develop an erroneous theology that actually really reduces God. Other things can be busyness. Um, I can't remember who it was, but they said, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. He will fill up all your time, occupying your presence with God, Anything that he do, can do to get in the way. Whether it be offence in the form of bitterness and unforgiveness. That is one of the chief ways that the enemy can get between you and God. And I want to strongly encourage, as we have some prayer ministry very soon, that that might be something that God might be putting his finger on this afternoon. And lastly, there are things like sins of omission and commission that we haven't brought before God. Of course, Jesus has already won the victory on the cross. That has been fully atoned for. However, we need to actually bring those things into the light. Because ultimately, Jesus used the word diabolos of the devil, which means the accuser. Other titles that Jesus used include the tempter or the destroyer or the deceiver. Jesus three times calls the devil the prince of this world as well as the father of lies. The enemy's job is to accuse you, to say that you do not have relationship with God, to condemn you of your sins, to pull you away from all that Jesus has already won and reigned victorious on the cross for. And so where to from here? A couple of things that I want to encourage you with as we come into land and as we look at one encounter that Jesus had in the Gospels. Firstly, with every wound comes a lie and with every lie comes an agreement. 
Now, when I was about seven years of age, when I must have been in year one or year two in primary school, I sat down on a wooden bench, and it was back in the day before they were either metal or they'd been painted, and I got this splinter that must have been at least 10 centimetres almost in my backside, okay? And, and of course, it hurt. But because I was so worried about the pain that it would cause to have that splinter removed, I didn't tell anybody about it. I just hobbled around for the next couple of days. Every time I sat down, I felt like someone was kicking up the butt. Um, and it was just a horribly painful experience to the point where my mum eventually observed, you look like you're in pain. We should go and get that thing taken out. And either by our own doing or caused by others in this journey called life, we will be afflicted with things. Things will be traumatic moments in our life. Things may have already happened to us in our childhood. There may be moments that are like afflictions that cause great pain to us. And whether we know it or not, a little bit like as I choose to try and live independent of the, the tweezers that we're going to get that splinter out, we begin to believe a lie about the way that God has made the world, about God himself, about ourselves. One of the huge challenges for me growing up, um, coming from you know, a, a well-meaning set of parents, and of course, for many of us, our parents don't mean to kind of inflict egregious kind of things upon us, but for me, I grew up with this sense of I had to make everything work. It all relied upon me. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the Greek god Atlas that would carry the world around on his shoulders. For me, that's how I felt life was supposed to be. And it actually took some significant realising that I had made an agreement in my life that actually I had to make life work, but that is not what Jesus said. That is not what Jesus said about me. That is not who he is. He is not a cruel father. He is a loving father. And that is the mastery of deceit, that you don't know you are being deceived. How do you know you are being deceived? You don't. And that is where the Holy Spirit and community comes in. We need one another to pray for one another, to actually recognise there are some points in one another's lives as we live in covenant community together to go, actually, Jesus wants to be free of those things. And so part of today as we pray together in a moment may simply be praying that prayer, God, where have I believed a lie? The next thing is that the enemy starts to lose his grip when you bring what was hidden into the light. Friends, the number one strategy of the enemy is to isolate you. It's a little bit like a prowling lion that Peter talked about. If I can get you as a gazelle away from the rest of the herd, then you are my dinner. Friends, the enemy wants to isolate us, to make you feel like your sin, your struggle, you know, whatever you may be going through right now is something that you have to face alone. But spiritual warfare is best done in community. That's why Jesus sent the disciples out in twos and threes. And can I suggest, and this is a little bit of a segue for us this afternoon, but I really felt prompted to kind of just share this. The sin or the trait that you are most defensive of may be your greatest blockage to spiritual growth. The thing that most causes you to have a reaction or feel uncomfortable or when someone brings it up with you over a coffee that actually you repel at, maybe that is the thing that God most wants to work through. 
The passage that I want to finish our time off with this afternoon in Counter Church is, is one that actually, funnily enough, and I'm going to believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit that Mike mentioned when he was leading us in ministry time earlier. Um, this has been a passage that, for me, reflects so much of what God wants to do in our midst in community. It's Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus, and we're going to be reading from John chapter 11. And as Mike said before, uh, many would know that Lazarus was brother to Mary and Martha. He was a close friend of Jesus. And actually, this moment that we are about to read from was the decisive moment where the Pharisees decided that they were going to take him to the cross. This was the moment where they had had enough, where they had said, no, we cannot stand for this any longer. And as, as the disciples warned Jesus that Lazarus had been sick, and by the time that he arrived at the tomb, it had now been four days this guy is well and truly dead. Four days of being within the grave. And he arrives to, to Mary's complaining. Mary saying, you know, why couldn't you have been here earlier? And the thing I love about our Jesus is that he was then moved. He was angry. He was emotional. He was moved to respond. And then he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And we read these words. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off your grave clothes and let him go. Friends, this is an incredible parable of what God wants to do in our midst in community. As Jesus is the one who by the amazing good news of what he has done upon the cross and his resurrection and ascension brings us back to life. But it is only together that we recognize the stench of death that is still upon us. And we recognize that actually there is so much more freedom at hand for us, friends. There is so much more freedom for us as we take off one another's grave clothes. As we are set free from the bondage and the condemnation of what the enemy is ploying to do in this world. And actually realize we don't have partial freedom, we have full freedom. That is fully available to you and I this afternoon. And as we follow Jesus and as we apprentice to him. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.